Hello and welcome to the Hurricane Pod, a podcast about living with mental illness and surviving the best that you can. The idea of being a hurricane is that you embrace the storm, the mess and the beauty and the power and the destruction and all the things that come with it. Hello and welcome back to the Hurricane Pod. In my head there was so music behind that. I think in my head there's always music behind me during an intro. Just pretend there is. It's less awkward for everyone. (laughs) One day I might be that high tech, but for now, no. This week on the show, I got to speak to my friend Emma, who I admire so much. She's just so fantastic in every way. She's a poet and writes poems that are angry and beautiful and they make me feel so many things when I read her poems. You'll love them. You'll love her. She always brings such a unique perspective to things. I always find when she tweets or talks, I'm just like, wow, yeah, I feel that. Yes, this makes sense. Which obviously means that this is a really, really interesting conversation. We talked about the concept of nourishment and how that plays into our lives in various ways. So the obvious, it's connected to food. But we also talked about relationships and sleep and kind of creativity and all of these things. Content notice for disordered eating. We do reference, although there is no explicit behaviour description um, of restriction and kind of clean eating and that whole thing and binging. So if that is something that is difficult for you, please be mindful. As always, please look after yourself. Hope you enjoy this episode with Emma. I hope it nourishes you. It really nourished me. So hi, Emma, and welcome to the podcast. Um, (laughs) Thank you for coming. Could you tell people a little bit about yourself, please? Um, God, um, I'm 21. And I'm a graduate of English literature. And I know I have a variety of issues and no diagnosis. I'm a big fan of doctors. Always <laughs> Which helpful. Is really a lot of it at the minute. Um, of, of the reason why I don't have a diagnosis, not why I have issues. <laughs> but um, yeah, mostly some anxiety stuff and lots of mood and identity and stability and a variety of trauma stuff. And yeah. Just just a big bundle of messy things that I'm not really easily able to articulate, apparently. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about nourishment today. Good word. In a kind of, yeah, in a variety of ways. I like the word nourishment. It's kind of like it sounds like what it means, almost. Yeah, yeah. I've been really obsessed with it since I was reading Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own, like probably in November time or something, and there was just this passage about eating how you can't like think or do anything if you haven't dined well or something I can't remember yeah. exactly what it is <laughs> but um it made me think of the word nourish and I've been kind of thinking about it a lot just from an eating angle because I had an adventure into vegetarianism last year that went terribly wrong <laughs> and then I had to really refocus how I approached food which is a work in progress yeah but to see it as as nourishment and not as as I don't know, something that I have to restrict or something that I end up binging and then hating myself for or whatever. Yeah. To, to find that balance of, like, and the nutrients. Like, I'm, like, obviously people can 
I'm gonna want them. and I'm not gonna like judge the health of their eating but I feel the impact of it on my body and on my mind yeah yeah I just like the idea of nourishing encouraging growth and maintaining growth as well like I think there's a balance of doing things that nourish you like body mind whatever that means that you're progressing and sometimes it's just that you're staying alive that you're doing all right, right. yeah so you said you had a little adventure with vegetarianism Obviously, food and nourishment is, like, a big thing, and it's something that the world has a lot of rules about and ideas. I'm just wondering, for you, where did that interest in becoming vegetarian come from, and what was the difficulties with that for you? I think it was an identity thing, which is really bad. I was just, like, searching and I've always, I've always got this really unhealthy idea of like trying to be more of an artist, more of a creative, interesting person. And yeah. I just, I got kind of attached to the idea of how many people I knew who were like what I wanted to become were vegetarians. Yeah. And well, I didn't eat a lot of meat anyway, so I was just like, oh, you know, I'll try it. And it just got out of hand really fast. Like the first few months were okay. And then the thoughts of, like, I can't eat this started to spread to other things. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, like, a massive, massive issue, but I, I just kept slipping up and then hating myself for it and then, like, refusing to eat. And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, like, it's not good. And especially like, if you haven't eaten in Asia and your brain won't work and you can't think of what you could eat or what you could make, it's really fast. And then you go out and all of the options in the, like, sandwich shop or whatever involve meat. And you just sort of, like, those those situations, the kind of, like, black and white of the approach I was trying to take was really bad. Yeah. And I just really don't like the moral, the moral high ground as well. Like, certainly veganism, if I'm really alienating sometimes. I know so many people who have tried vegetarian or veganism as a means of, like, trying to lose weight. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable and like which is weird because it's not as someone who has been being vegan isn't it's not a diet like that's the food aspect but then it's also like you don't use leather you don't use suede lots of makeup and house products and stuff it's so much more Mm. there's certainly like hype of vegan and maybe vegetarian to a lesser extent who kind of try and sell it as a a means of losing weight and those are the kind of people you know when you go on top of like what i eat in a day youtube video salad 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 vegetables described disguised as carbs and all of this stuff yeah just like i just start to do the maths in my head and i'm like that can't be enough to like sustain no although these the thing is these people don't do what i eat in a day every single day i think it is because ultimately that sells and a lot of people I think who do genuinely care about the animals and like that side of it get caught up in that aspect because it is a good way to promote it yeah it sort of like goes into well-being stuff yeah and also because weight loss is something that the wider world is very interested in unfortunately so (laughs) it's like Uh, a selling point yeah I think just I don't find black and white attitudes to food very helpful no. anyway so I suppose that's a lot where it went wrong it's so unavoidable but like especially like the presence of well-being attitudes to food in a minute yeah just make it so hard to like feel okay about things that you're eating it's the dirtiness part like mm. this kind of like idea of clean eating I personally have found that even knowing that it's wrong knowing that it's it's a really unhelpful and harmful way of packaging I suppose packaging yeah. food eating and still it kind of like seeps in yes um which i find with a lot of attitudes to food and like fat phobia and stuff like i'm not a skinny girl i'm not huge and i don't want to like 
you don't want to like co-opt that but certainly like I have a lot of like issues with my weight so it, it just all starts to seep in and that can like get into really bad spaces of swinging between extremes that aren't very healthy yeah. <laughs> definitely nourishment that was what I was talking about I just like went off on a big tangent sorry totally fine. um I think approaching food as something that is like that has a purpose but it's not just about your body like I'm trying to uh, learn a few recipes at the minute to like have a dinner party oh. um because I really enjoy food the most when I'm with people I'm when it's like yeah. a pleasant experience you're nourishing conversation and you're nourishing your friends and yourself and your friendships and your bodies and all of these things and it's not just eating as like an input output thing you have to eat so you can function yeah. which is true but it gives some more pleasure to it I think that's a really yeah. lovely way to think about it I mean I know that I used to not be comfortable eating around other people like that was really massively anxiety provoking but actually now I find that I'm less anxious when I'm eating with other people for the most part I I think as well like I'm more present with it and even though you're not focused on the food I'm still more aware of it than when I'm like you know binging basically or overthinking it and I guess that sort of what you just said explains that yeah I think it's a bit it's a bit sad as well but because I find it really hard to cook for just myself yeah to like justify putting that time and energy into doing something so I tend to like also I'm a terrible cook so there's that too like I still have a lot to learn and I just find it so much easier to care for other people than for myself definitely I think that's an issue that most people with mental illnesses have for example if you're in like a depressive episode you gonna be kind of low on energy and the kind of effort that it can take to cook it just doesn't always feel very easy and there is just that sense of worth in relation to food but also in just general and the motivation of having other people like my friend was here from japan a couple of weeks ago and i cooked every single day and actually really enjoyed it and was really impressed with like what i made and i never cook that much before I was just eating porridge for dinner because it's easy and I know how to do it well um, and it doesn't require much effort there's something about having someone else there that Mm. makes it easier which is really sad because why can't I do that for myself Uh, I think especially if you're self-loathing at all and if you're in any sort of like spiral of low self-worth yeah I, I certainly feel like I'm a lot more likely to go out of my way to help a really close friend than I will be to help myself because I just, you don't necessarily think you deserve it. I have a definite tendency of not treating my crisis, my own crisis as a crisis. Yeah. So, like, I will be there for friends and I will stay up to, like, talk to them and make sure they're okay and all of this stuff and just don't believe myself per se, I suppose. It's- There's a lot out there that says, you know, helping other people helps you too. And obviously that is true, but I think there is a limit to how much we can give out you know, it's taxing, it's a lot, especially if other people have a lot of stuff going on, like, that's emotionally draining. Um, Yeah, and it's really unhelpful to you and to your friends to be really self-sacrificial, but it can, it's so easy to fall into that kind of mindset, I suppose, not consider that you have to look after yourself first. I I always think, adjust your own, you know, like on a plane, like adjust your own MS before you help other people. But it is true because you can't do a good job of helping people if you're, you know, at crisis point yourself. That's just going to go very badly wrong at some point. It's very difficult when you're in a real state to 
do anything really meaningful. And I suppose as well, like, your friends or your family or whoever, like, care about you, it's going to be hard for them seeing you, obviously, so burnt out and unhappy. But It's not really good for anyone, I no. guess. Yeah, and those situations can be really hard. It can be really hard to say to someone, like, I think you need to look after yourself first. Or just even just to say, I, I need to take some time out and look up yeah. myself. And just like laying boundaries is so hard. I'm terrible at it. But Have you um, learned any like sort of strategies for that? Or God, I, I think just like being as honest as possible, <laughs> where possible, like it is really hard. And I think I'm definitely learning as well just to like cultivate friendships with people who I feel comfortable co- co- like being open with. Yeah. Because I've had friendships before where where I feel unable to talk about, like, how bad things are, or feel like they're going to think I'm guilt-tripping them, or any kind of relationship where you feel like you have to be there to prove your love or whatever, like, yeah. that really just gets into really unhealthy territory. A lot of it's, like, down to having half-decent friends to begin with. Yes, um, which is another I, difficult thing, I think. Yeah, I think especially, like, if you've had bad relationships, abusive ones, in, in any kind of sense, it, it starts to become a pattern that you yes. kind of get drawn to the same people over and over again. And, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think as well, like, if you're kind of emotionally cut off, that's kind of what you attract, is someone who is equally sort of, like, unavailable. Um, and similarly, if you're in a place of self-loathing you're probably not gonna go seeking out someone who like makes you feel good you can find yourself which is not to say that it's anyone's fault but you know you can draw in the wrong people because because of that vulnerability so it's a really difficult thing to navigate when you are mentally ill if you don't have the right kind of friends or people in your life like family whatever like you don't necessarily choose everyone (laughs) Uh, but yeah I think it's really hard to be able to communicate about your boundaries I find it really hard I tend to just avoid people when things get, like, too much for me to Yeah, that works. Which is very, very unhealthy, but... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not the best strategy, but sometimes yeah. we have to use not perfect strategies not to not, survive. Yeah. It's complicated. I've been thinking about this a lot recently in regards to kind of eating stuff, where I've realised that whilst it almost killed me and sort of tries to, it also was is you know it's a coping mechanism and it's something that has like helped me survive in a weird kind of way which is really weird to think about even though it's a punishment it's also a comfort and it's all it's all very difficult (laughs) yeah yeah I I think avoiding people can be quite useful in the sense of like emergency looking after yourself like oh like yesterday I spent the whole day in bed had a bad day and I just I was like I can't get out of bed otherwise something bad's gonna happen so I like went out to get food to the kitchen but that was all I did and sometimes you just gotta be like this isn't healthy and this isn't really getting me anywhere but it's okay and that's something I've been thinking a lot about with nourishment is this idea of I'm gonna use a cheesy plant metaphor (laughs) sometimes nourishment means you can grow and you can survive like harsh conditions outside and whatever and sometimes it's nourishing to keep the plant in the greenhouse and be extra like gentle with it and it doesn't necessarily keep it growing properly sometimes you're just like keeping it alive but that that's still something there's like levels of nourishment of self-care and of growth that's like 
sometimes you're growing and progressing and you're really feeling like you're achieving something and sometimes you're just surviving and that is okay it's it's something (laughs) it's preparing I suppose for a stage of growth this is another cheesy plant metaphor but like nothing in nature blooms all year is a quote that I see on the internet a lot and I really love it because it's true yeah and I think about that a lot in terms of writing and creating as well like because I tend to get really frustrated with myself when I'm not writing yeah. and not creating things, which sounds like unrelated to mental illness, but I think it really is because... It's an identity um, thing. Yeah, and it's such a coping thing for me, like, to be able to write, to be able to feel like I am doing something, that I have to allow myself to be taking in things and processing and learning and developing myself as a, as a writer and as a person in a way that's maybe not creating anything now, but will lead to something yeah. later. And it's really hard to, like, remind yourself of that. But I think remembering that, like, sometimes you're just taking it in and you're hibernating and, and working through stuff and then soon you'll be booming and, and creating and everything. How do you know, though, when I guess the line needs to be drawn in terms of sort of hibernating, staying in bed and not seeing anyone, how do you know when that stopped being healthy or sort of, like, about safety and when it's crossed over into avoidance in a kind of really negative sense? I think it's a really complicated grey area kind of thing because the best way I've handled it is set is like yesterday I said okay I will have today and then tomorrow I'm gonna so today I went out um, and saw a friend and went to the museum and had a cup of coffee and just like keeping myself doing things and I'm going out tonight trying to not let it be a long-term thing is yeah. really important me I think but sometimes if you are that ill sometimes it is gonna have to be a a longer thing I don't know avoidance can be really really like tricky one but then sometimes you're avoiding you're avoiding things and then you confront them and you're just not ready for it that's Um, the thing is knowing when the avoidance is about self-protection and when it's about self-sabotage yeah it's hard it's really hard. I have not worked out the answer yet. No, me. I, sometimes I test the boundaries, I suppose, but that has gone very wrong before. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I find really hard is like going to places that are like really, because I'm a bit claustrophobic, is, um, <laughs> um, I find it really hard to be trapped in a situation particularly, but like trapped yeah. in a small space in a situation. I went to Bristol, which, you know, is like an hour train from, from me to see the ballet. I uh, saw so it's very good. Oh. But I, I had a complete meltdown in the the theatre and just uh, because I just couldn't take being in such a small space and it was just very very embarrassing and then I had to call my mum to pick me up because she lives near there (laughs) you have to know your limits kind of in being in the real world so far disasters have never been that disastrous yeah but I know sometimes you have a near miss and then you're like oh okay I need to be a bit more careful it's hard because sometimes I worry that indulging that just makes it worse like it's certainly getting worse for me in terms of what I can handle and what I can't but then maybe that's more of the fact that I'm not properly addressing it like with care at the minute not that the NH doesn't make it particularly easy to no god no they really do not I'm getting better at recognizing when something is about to go wrong yeah Uh, and I'm I'm better at recognizing when it's anxiety and when it's something serious because like I don't consider anxiety much of an issue in my day-to-day life but it's like it would hit me at moments yeah. and that really frustrates me because I'm like this is not something that I have to worry about most of the time but in certain circumstances and then I just can't get past it and it gets really frustrating um 
But yeah, like I went to a concert last week and I could feel myself feeling unwell. And then every time the music started playing, which was for the support act, I felt fine. And it was just like this, I was like, this is just anxiety because it's not staying the same. Like when I get distracted, I feel fine. And like I'm starting to like be able to rationalise myself out of it to an extent. Yeah. But, you know, I do worry because there are limits and it's it's tricky. I don't know. Noticing it is, I think, can be the hardest part sometimes, though. I mean, sometimes for me it's the easiest. Sometimes I think I'm way too self-aware because I have all this awareness and I can't do shit about it. But sometimes it's acknowledging it and, like, recognising it is Mm. a big thing. Yeah. Um, But I certainly, like... A friend of mine's been really good at, like, talking me down from, like, health panics is another big one I have where I'm just like, I'm going to die because of this particular, like, rash or whatever, like, any sort of, like, random thing. And someone was like, do you feel, like, do you feel ill constantly or do you just feel ill every now and Like, just, like, certain things that I was, like, able to, like, help me identify yeah. when I'm just being anxious. Because when I'm anxious, I feel really ill. When I'm, like, on the edge of a panic attack, you know, I do feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. But I'm not. <laughs> and just, like, recognising that is really helpful, I think. It's good to have friends like that as well, but how do you... I guess, how do you find friendships like that and how do you nurture those relationships? Because I think, like we said before, like there's a real tendency in people with mental illness to sort of gravitate towards people who aren't so good yeah. for us. I've been quite lucky, I suppose. I've I've had some really good... I've had some terrible friends over the years in my, like, more distant past. Um, But I'm getting a lot better at, like, knowing what good friendship looks like and kind of, like, nourishing it. There are certain things I really appreciate in a friend, and when they do that, I sort of, like, know to cling on to them a bit. Yeah. Certainly, like, really considerate people. I'm I'm so appreciative of considerate people, of people who um, are just really self-aware. We'll just go the extra mile and it doesn't have to be a big thing it doesn't have to be like a massive load of their like energy and time it's just people who um who are like just be a little bit more aware of other people yeah and and stuff like that I don't know I find like little things yeah my friend will text me and just be like are you having a good day um or sort of will send me a link to a song and be like oh, I really like this and I think you will too, or this made me think of you. Like, they're really simple things, but they just make me feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, like little small gestures, I think, are just a really good thing. And it's really nice to feel, like, validating love. Especially if if you haven't, like, asked for it, if it's just sort of, like, out of the blue. Um, I mean, I still want validation when I ask for it, of course. But, um, <laughs> but it's always when, nice when it's just given. Yeah, when someone's just like, I love you. Uh, like, receiving drug texts from friends, it's one of my favourite things in the world. Like, when they're like, I love you so much. And you're just like, oh my god. My <laughs> friend did that a while ago, and she got really embarrassed about it the next morning. And I was like, dude, you say this, like, all the time. It's really fine. It was cute. And she was so like, oh my god, I'm such an idiot. And I was like, no, you just said you loved me and it was really lovely. <laughs> I mean, I once made a friend very angry because I um, texted her drunk on my bathroom floor at like five in the morning. And she was like, it's five in the morning. But, you know, we all make mistakes. <laughs> See, this is 
this person should have had their phone on silent, like a smart person. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, it's the night time. My phone rung this morning and it woke me up and I was like, uh, that doesn't, that's not fair because I set it so that it is silent in the night and then I realised it was 10am and I was like, fair enough. <laughs> that's allowed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah that's, that's another thing that's probably something I need to work on in terms of nourishing myself in terms of nourishing my functioning I suppose yeah is like not sleeping with my phone on or like sleeping with my phone in my bed yes to me whatever phones are a difficult one yeah a lot of like sleep habits and like a really a lot of my sleep habits are terrible but then like the advice people give is just terrible as well it's like don't use your bed for anything but sleeping. And yeah, that's just not realistic. I think me and Anna I... talked about this when they were on the show as well, about the whole concept of sleep hygiene. And it's just not realistic because people like their beds. I have phases of just, like, just terrible sleep-wise. And, like, if I'm stressed about something, I won't sleep the night before, which yeah. is awful. Like, I hate that, like, tossing and turning thing. But I've tried to follow all the rules but it's just really hard to to do that in like a practical sense yeah. like you don't have a desk I've got a little desk at the minute but it's not big um not that I have loads of work to be done but like in terms of like writing on and watching films and whatever if I if I if I'm alone in a flat I don't really want to turn the heating on and yeah you know bed is warm and I don't want to spend that money on the heating it's just like little things like that like I think and also like if you're watching a film I'm sorry who the fuck sits at their desk to watch a film yeah, like, oh god, I hate that. Um, especially like in uni, a lot of the time, all the, all the options you have is just like a bed or a desk. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, mm. and you can get, end up really beating yourself up about it. But I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't find it very helpful. I do try to to avoid let my bedroom become the room I do everything in. I think with sleep, I do notice the difference when I've like not been on my phone scrolling Twitter just before bed, but at the same time. If I can't sleep, going online is sometimes like a comfort thing. Like if I can't sleep because I'm really anxious or I'm feeling really upset, then that's somewhere that gets me out of my brain and I can't necessarily focus on a book or a Oh yeah, film I find it so whatever. hard to like read before bed cuz I get to this like stage of tired where I can like maybe focus enough on a tweet. Yeah. But or like talk to someone, but I can't like actually read. But, yeah, I don't know, I find that really hard. And um, also, like, if your brain is feeling unsafe, then, like, the internet is connection to other people. Yeah, like, I've done that a lot, where I've been like, I can't sleep because I just feel like I'm going to explode or something. Um, or, like, all I can think about is doing bad things. So then I go on the internet, and, yeah, it means I'm not going to get any sleep. But I wasn't going to get any sleep anyway. So yeah, now yeah. I'm keeping myself safe because I'm talking to my friend I think everything is so much more complicated than all the, like, self-help guru-type people like to project. A lot of the advice is really basic as well. It's for, like, the, it's like for the people who are just having this problem, like, just now, and, and they're just looking at the first things they can do. Yeah. And not the people who have, like, long-term issues with that thing. Yeah. Like, every time I tell people, like, well, like if I'm having a period of bad insomnia and I tell people, and they're like, have you tried turning your phone off? Have you tried... Have you tried not looking at screens before for an hour before bed? Have you tried, you know, all of these things? And I'm just like, it's a lot more complicated than that for me. And sometimes some of those things I know they're probably not helping me sleep, but they're helping me 
look after myself in other ways. And, yeah. and Twitter and the internet is such like a, a double-edged sword of like coping mechanisms and really unhealthy passive consumption. Like I really try to yeah balance how I use the internet because sometimes it's good. Like you're connecting with people and you're learning things from someone's interesting Twitter thread or or you're posting things and talking to people and having good conversations and I really appreciate that but sometimes I'm just scrolling and I don't care what people are saying and I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and it's really like a numbing and I'm trying to do less of that because I find that really unhelpful yeah and sometimes Twitter as well like I find quite harmful in terms of people put their best selves on social media yeah Especially if you don't follow someone, like, if someone has an old account and you don't follow it, you see the good stuff and you don't see the bad stuff. Totally, Um, yeah. And also the old accounts can be really just... Then you're seeing everyone's sad stuff, and I think if I'm, like, passively scrolling and I'm seeing everyone's sad stuff, like, I take that in, and then my brain is full of everyone else's (laughs) lives instead of, like, my own thoughts, and Mm -hmm. it's... Especially, like, it just, like, puts the idea there sometimes. And, like, one of the things I definitely find is, like, especially, like, and I don't blame people for, for doing it because certainly, like, if you're in a really bad state, you can sometimes be, like, I need to be the sickest, I need to be, I need to be having the hardest time, or, like, actually just feel like you do have the hardest time and other people are getting more sympathy. And, like, I'm not going to judge that, but sometimes the way people phrase their own issues starts to feel like an attack of, like, you're not sick enough, you don't have enough problems. What are you complaining about? And then you start to talk yourself into really unhealthy spaces. Yeah. I have to be sick or I have to be more unhelpful to myself and self-sabotaging. Yes. It's really hard. Very it's really familiar. hard to like recognise like the validity of your issues whilst working on them. Yes. And to like make that balance is really hard. It is difficult because I think like if you overthink it, you dwell on it and yeah. that intensifies things, but at the same time you can't ignore the stuff going on Mm. I always find that really difficult being able to say yes this is something that I have with making it an identity thing whilst not making it an identity thing because I think it's important to own it I have a really big thing about owning it obviously but at the same time sometimes that is an issue it becomes this kind of thing of like refusing to consider the possibility of how you can look after yourself, and then resenting other people who do, and that's where I think it becomes yeah. a problem. I definitely think that, because it is such an identity thing, for I think pretty much anyone with mental illness, it's very easy to take that, but I sp- suppose particularly for those of us with like personality disorders and kind of just identity issues in general, it is easy to cling to it, and I think it can feel almost embarrassing or like, wrong when you're doing well or you do things like sort of you make progress like sometimes I feel like oh I shouldn't this shouldn't be going right right now which is ridiculous and I should just enjoy it whilst it lasts because it generally doesn't last and soon after I am wishing I was back in that but like yeah it can feel like betrayal to your illness or your community of ill people I guess yeah like you worry that you're going to be judged and therefore you kind of judge yourself yeah yeah definitely and I think as well a lot of it's like the black and white thing of not not giving yourself enough that's something I'm trying really hard at the minute is like to view myself with nuance 
and to set to hold myself accountable without thinking I'm a bad person yeah. because that's a really unhelpful thing anyway and it starts to be really self-indulgent but like just to, to allow yourself to be doing well but not consider that that means you're cured and you're fine yes. you don't have problems like you can have a good day and still be mentally ill and still have long-standing issues from childhood that aren't going to go away yeah and you can have be having a good day like in the context of those issues and your good days might not be good in other people's eyes as yeah. well. And just like, just like adding all that context and that nuance and, and being kind to yourself in that way really is something I'm just really trying at the minute, like the yeah. nuance thing. I really um, struggle with that too. I think as well, like it's hard with the whole um, thinking, oh, I had a good day, I'm not sick thing, particularly when you're, you don't have like a diagnosis. Do you ever find that yeah. kind of it, you're like, well, ah, see, this is all a lie. You're making such a big deal out of it. And then yeah. it also becomes like a, see, you're you're not bad at life because you have problems. You're just rubbish in general. Yeah, you're just lazy. You're just not smart, whatever. Yeah, no, uh. definitely. I think yesterday I had a bit of a crisis because I was meant to go register at a doctor um, because I'm still, I'm still registered at the doctor nearest to where I lived last year. And I haven't been back to the doctor since June, other than a brief period where I registered as a temporary patient over the summer. But um, I, so I was like, okay, going to go register as a doctor. And I mentioned it, and then someone said to me, oh, don't go to the place I was going to go to, because they're terrible. And then I was just like, I was just like, oh, because I hate doctors, and I hate, I think a lot of them lack the training that they need at the minute in terms yeah. of mental health stuff. And, um, Definitely. And tact. <laughs> and um and there's like definite like lack of funding in a sense to which the line in t- of thick enough for care is yeah. just moving further and further away because the funds which is not to suggest that like I think the like less funds obviously affect everyone and it's not just the people who are like sick but not quote unquote sick enough the funds affect everyone yeah because it's a quality of service as well and I don't know enough about it because I'm not in the system properly um, but yeah, I think it's really hard, um, and I just had a real spiral yesterday because I was like, "There's nothing wrong with me," and no doctor will ever think otherwise, and and it just it just gets you into a really bad headspace. Yeah. If I feel like I'm being rational, if I feel like my brain is is in a normal place, even though I'm still depressed and unstable and all of these things, if I feel a little bit more present or a little bit more more like able to see reason, then I'm like, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with me." I am completely sane and fine. I definitely find, though, it's so easy to, like, invalidate yourself. Yeah. Especially when we consider the word of particular doctors and authority figures as the definitive word. Obviously, like, they're trained and they know stuff, but... They don't know everything. ...they your brain as well as you do. Yeah. And there's an extent to which, if you're, if you're bad at communicating it, they're just not going to see the issue yeah. uh, in the same way that you do. They're not going to understand your entire history and issues and everything. Um, Especially if it's like a doctor's appointment that's like 10 minutes long. That's just not long enough to really... And a doctor, like if it's a doctor, doctor, they're not qualified in mental health stuff in the same... You know, they don't know. So they have a very specific image of mental illness, I think. So I've found because I am quite self-aware and quite good explaining what's going on in my brain um, in a very sort of rational, calm way, I can come across 
sane, essentially, and like almost like I'm saying these things, but I'm not actually living them. And so yeah. they'll be like, oh, you're fine, or maybe you're just exaggerating these things, kind of. Well, they don't necessarily say that, but you can tell that's sort of what they're yeah. going with. And like, although they're not trained, like they are the gatekeepers of the services to see the people who are trained. Yeah. Ugh. Which is a real difficulty. They should have, I don't know. I don't really know anything about like how that works in terms of like training and like, stuff from the no. doctor's point of view. But like they really ought to like at least talk about about how to handle all of that stuff better because everyone I've seen has been just really bad at that, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, generally, they are not great. I find student doc, as in doctors at student practices for people at university, for example, tend to be. I've noticed better or the ones I've had maybe I'm just really lucky at understanding because you're dealing with sort of young people constantly and it's fairly common to have some kinds of issues especially people going away from the first time from home like brings up a lot of stuff yeah so I think I've found them to be a lot better Mm. yeah I think it's generational as well I don't know I don't know because it's not like mental illness just suddenly exists from our generation I don't know what I mean by that um No, but I think the intensity or the sort of frequency of it has increased in the sense that we're under a lot of pressure, that there are a lot of academic issues for our education system. Yeah, people have a lot of shit to deal with, I guess. I don't know, I find certainly a lot of young people are are better, but then not all of them are, so it's kind of... I suppose with, like, the internet, maybe, people kind of connect with people who are from different circles and backgrounds. Like, not exclusively. There are plenty of, like, baby toys and baby, <laughs> like, all of that sort of thing. But, but I think um, it is a good place to find other people who get you more. Yeah, and I think, like, there's definitely a lot more in terms of resources of, like, teaching other people and anyone in sort of, like, social justice left-wing circles will probably have some degree of knowledge, whether it's a good one or not, like... There's no, like, perfect place, and I don't want to suggest no. feel like a fountain of knowledge or something. Like, our generation is, is not perfect. No, of course not. Necessarily even good, but... I think it's something, because, to a large extent, mental illness is still really taboo, that IRL, quote-unquote, like, it can be very difficult to talk about things, and you can feel like no-one else has this stuff and you it can be very isolating so the internet I guess provides a space to talk about it and to see other people existing with this stuff and that's very comforting mm, yeah definitely to round off I'm gonna go on to the lightning round so what is like your ultimate comfort book something that you turn to again and again comfort book um Probably my favourite book, which is The Time Traveller's Wife by Audrina Finnegar. Mm, yeah. I'm so porny. Um, but I don't love it because it's a romance. I actually kind of really enjoy the, like, messed up dynamics and the way it, like, examines those, I guess. And I just yeah. also really like the um, vibe of the book. And I read it at a time when I really needed a comfort. And yeah. it just was really special to me. And so it kind of brings me back to that, I suppose. Similarly, do you have, like, a comfort film? Um, a comfort film. Or, like, a TV show, even, that you've, like, been watching? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I guess I rewatch Legally Blonde a lot, but it's more of, like, my academic motivation film yeah. than, like, comfort film. <laughs> but I do love it. It's, good. it's a good one. Um, I think it's a good, it's a good 
watching for self-care thing? Well, so I really, just to be really corny, I really like Pride and Prejudice, the um, 2005 film. I just like the music. And Is that the, the Colin Firth one? Uh, no, it's the um, the one directed by Joe Wright with Keira Knightley in it. It's just okay. really beautiful. I love it. And I love uh, Gone Girl as well. Self-care watching Gone Girl. Uh, no, I really, I, Gone Wait, Girl what, just like, always girl. makes me okay. feel better. I've never well, watched it. It's not a gory film. <laughs> no, um, I don't actually, but Gone Girl is just it's one of my faves. Okay. What's your go-to feel-good song? Feel-good song? I've really been into, um, I really love A Burning Hill by Mitski, which isn't okay. like a feel-good, feel-good song, but it's like really like peaceful, um, which is something that I try and like, I aspire towards peacefulness rather than like euphoria at the minute because I yeah. find like, I need that, like, stability. Yeah. And, like, I don't think it's good for me to feel like I'm going to be amazing and everything's great and all, like, you know, I get into that point of, of mood and it's just unhealthy for me and it t- takes me to, to just do ridiculous things and into bad places. So I really, like, yeah. I just love the song. It's, like, a short song and it's so peaceful and it's it's sort of, like, bittersweet and I love bittersweet songs. I love the kind of, like, you know, like, this thing was bad but I am going to get past it and move on and and be kind to myself and it's just like it's a really good song for that so yeah okay. I mean anything by Mitski I find really like I just love all of her music and it's so comforting to me and has meant so much in the past few months but A Burning Hill particularly okay. is my fave at the minute I'll have to look into that um yeah she's great she's she's just really great <laughs> Um, conversely like what sad song comforts you when you just like need to feel your shit Oh god, I'm so self-indulgent. I listen to um, The Stays a lot um, when I'm sad and like Bonnie Bear, but like particularly my number one song is uh, Smothered by Daughter, which is oh, just god. really like, like just like really self-indulgent, like I'm bad for everything and, and like that kind of like, like when you feel really toxic, it's just, yeah. it's just a really like, it's not comforting, but it's just a bit self-indulgent. And no, like, yeah, it's a yeah. song that you kind of go to for just like, ah, uh, moments. Yeah. yeah. I can't listen to Daughter, like, I think when I used to listen to them, like, was just a really, really bad time in my life, and I find it really triggering now, almost, like, to listen to, because it just takes yeah. me back to that, but... What is your favourite act of self-care? Oh, I have so many. Um, I really like taking baths. I don't have a bathtub here in my flat, so I'm really missing it at the minute. Oh. Um, this is my second year without a bathtub. Tragic. Um, and I really appreciate um, smells. It really is something that's really, um, I find really grounding, like lavender. and Yeah, I love lavender as well. Lavender and honey are two that mm. I find really comforting and really like grounding and and peaceful and also I just really like red velvet cake that's another one I just have to put out there like it's just one of the things that I just really like and I have a lot of like good memories of I the the coffee shop next to my university library does um red velvet cheesecake sometimes Mm. and it just like every time I was having a bad day I would just go in and have a piece of cheesecake things weren't perfect but it just felt a little bit better yeah sometimes that's what you need yeah I appreciated that a lot Oh, that's nice. Finally, what does being a hurricane mean to you? Like, what has mental illness brought into your life in a weird kind of way, positively? God, that's a really hard question. I suppose just, like, I understand 
my limits better, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because I've been pushed to them. <laughs> um, and I'm much more grateful for the things that I do have going for me. Yeah. Um, and I have had some really, like, good experiences and done some, and I'm just, like, had some really good moments because of connection, because of that, because of the, like, wild directions that, that breakdowns have pushed me in. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of grateful for that in a, in a weird sort of way. Certainly, like, my best friend I wouldn't be so close to if we weren't both a wreck. Yeah. And like that, I really appreciate too silver linings to every cloud and all of that yeah that's an important thing to remember so where can people find you on the internet if you want finding uh i'm on twitter at m underscore lucertine <laughs> i need to change my at actually because i've had that for ages and it's really boring i can never think of something interesting for my name um and i'm and i have a blog but it's on my twitter so uh, I'm not really, I know, I keep deleting and remaking things at the minute, terrible. Yeah, um, I relate, I do that all the time. I'm on Instagram as a somber girl, which is a line from an Emily Dickinson poem, because I'm just that corny. Basically Twitter. Yeah. Cool. Well, okay, thank, thank you very much. Very much.